If you're an entrepreneur, you know what it means to take personal and financial risks, create jobs that support your community, and devote most of your time to your business. But do you know how to plan for a successful exit from your business? Do you know who should be involved in creating your succession or transition plan and the steps along the way? Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. The podcast theme is inspired by critically acclaimed business author, Bo Burlingham, author of Finish Big, how great entrepreneurs exit their companies on top. In this podcast, you'll hear success stories of exit plans done right and pick up practical tips based on years of legacy business advisors' expertise and knowledge about the largest and most important financial transaction of your life. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Finish Big, the podcast with your host, Mark Dorman. Today's guests are Kevin Vondero, Chief Lending Officer of Westfield Bank, and his colleague, Dan Bender, Senior Vice President and Commercial Lending Team Leader. Today's topic is something near and dear to our heart here as uh, Ohioans. It's employee stock ownership plans, or more affectionately known as ESOPs. So first of all, let me just start by welcoming Dan and Kevin to the show. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for having us. We're, we're excited to be here. Westfield Bank and both of you personally have been friends of the show and friends of mine for quite a, a long time. So uh, this is something I'm very, very excited about. I'm excited to give our listeners a taste of what is becoming quite popular, even more popular. They're saying that the 2020s are going to be the decade of the ESOP as a lot of baby boomers seek to finish big. Uh, but let's just get started. I'm going to go ahead and kind of set the table here with some data points, and then we'll turn it over and find out more about Westfield Bank, more about your roles within the bank, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Sound good? Sounds great. Yeah, sounds great. Terrific, terrific. So first of all, according to the National Center for Employee Ownership, or what is known as the NCEO, there are approximately 6,500 ESOP plans, uh, which represent about 14 million participants throughout the United States. As I was doing my research, I found it very interesting. But then as I thought about it, I thought, well, that makes sense. But uh, ESOP companies typically grow, uh, on average, almost 2.5% faster than comparable non-ESOP companies. Certainly one of the reasons why would be their tax-favored nature, their ability to accumulate cash, and perhaps even acquire other companies, which we'll touch on. But according to, albeit a dated study, 1997, that companies that uh, have ESOPs or employee stock ownership plans in place, those employees that work there on average make between 5 and 12% greater wages. Very interesting. But this is striking. Nearly three times the amount of retirement assets in their retirement plans, which an ESOP is a retirement plan, and we'll get to that, but three times the retirement assets, again, compared to colleagues or their neighbors at comparably sized companies. Some of the more famous ESOPs in America would be Publix Grocery Store with 230,000 employees. And if you're a golfer or a hunter, 
the folks that make Gore-Tex, WL Gore, is an ESOP with about 12,000 employees. So with that, and without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to our guests, and let's get to know Kevin Vondero, again, Chief Lending Officer with Westfield Bank, and Dan Bender, Senior Vice President. Kevin, let's start with you. Tell us about Westfield Bank, maybe give us some background history, et cetera. Sure. Thanks, Mark. Westfield Bank was started in, in 2001 and really started after some legislation changed. Gramm-Leach-Bliley uh, went into effect in 1999 and it repealed the Glass-Steagall Act of 1933. So I'm getting a little bit of history lesson, but it is relevant in, in our startup. So what it allowed for is financial intermediaries to, to own each other. So it, it broke down those, those walls. And our founder, John Park, started was, was hired in 2000 and started really planning the blueprint for the bank. And the bank opened up in, in 2001. In a very short period of time, we've grown uh, to today to 2.1 billion in assets. And it makes us the 10th largest community bank in Ohio. And I think really a lot of our success um, was, was around really our strategy and our ownership. So when you think about it in, in the early 2000s, that's when technologies really started blossoming in, in the banking world and really the, the digital capabilities, online banking, then shortly after that remote deposit capture. So really what we've done is, is we levered, leveraged that technology and really brought banking to our customers. And that's really made us successful because when you look at a bank, typically our size, they have 20 to 30 branches out there. And, and we don't invest as much in brick and mortar. We invest in, in technology and in, in our in our employees. And we have we have seven locations. So we're able to service our, our customers by by using technology. But it's also our ownership structure. So we're owned by by Westfield Insurance Company, which has been around for 175 years. Mm. And while we've been around for just a little over 20, that gives us validity when we're telling our stories, right? We have that long history behind us. But it's also how we're owned or privately held. And that really allows us to be long-term in, in our vision, in our strategy. So we're not worried about those quarterly earnings reports and, and you know, like satisfying our, our shareholders. And, and it really shows in, in how we take care of our customers because we, we be long-term with them. And, and we know not every, everything's perfect out there. And, and so we're able to help customers in good times and in bad times. And I really think that's something that separates us a lot from our, from our competition. Um, it's also our, our management team. All our decisions are, are made locally. We empower employees to be able to make decisions. So we're able to help our customers when we're meeting and, and, and are in front of the, those customers. And it's good to know that, you know, like the deposits that they put into our bank, we reinvest locally back into other other businesses in the community. Yeah, I mean, I can speak firsthand, Kevin. That's a great, uh, great bag background. And thank you for sharing that with us. But hey, Westfield Bank is really redefine relationship banking so often now in my travels uh, and you guys know how many companies our firms in and out to see but they're always somewhat complaining about the fact that uh, they have great relationships locally with their lenders but there is a loan committee and behind some secret curtain whether whether it's in Columbus or New York City and they always say to me, Mark, you know, if I could just tell my own story, I, I could impress upon these lenders how good of a company we have. And that's something that Westfield Bank really lives and breathes. Fair enough? Yeah, no, that that's exactly it. Um, we bring the decision makers out to the, the company so we get to know and hear their story. And it's a lot easier to make a decision when you're when you're hearing it firsthand and you, and you can understand um, what that company's what, what their strategies are and maybe their challenges that they're going through. Yeah, great, great. So let's get a little bit more granular. Our show today is on employee stock ownership plans or ESOPs. 
Uh, we're joined today by Kevin Vonderow, Chief Lending Officer of Westfield Bank, and Dan Bender, Senior Vice President and Commercial Team Lead. Dan, tell us how Westfield Bank got involved in the ESOP space. Sure. Yeah. And thanks for having us, Mark. I've, I've had the opportunity to listen to a couple of the uh, Finish Big podcasts that have been pushed out al already and a lot of good information in there. So a lot of business owners ought to be listening to this podcast. And uh, Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure for Kevin and I to uh, join you here today. Your question, it's a, it's a good one. And, you know, Kevin gave some context regarding our ownership being owned by Westfield Insurance. And really, when we started as a bank, one of the areas that we did a, did a lot of work was actually working with insurance agents, both locally here, as well as some out-of-state agents that were selling Westfield Insurance. And we helped them with business perpetuation financing. So we allowed those younger agents to buy out the individuals that were looking to retire. A uh, number of years ago, we expanded that to registered investment advisors, something that I, I know you're familiar with that space, Mark. So um, really it's, it's in, our, in our relatively short time as a bank, you know, 22 years now, um, we've really done a lot in terms of helping that next generation buy out those who are looking to retire. When I joined the bank in 2019, I had a chance meeting with an investment banker named Sean Ely, who's with Lazier Capital. And, and Sean is a big advocate for ESOP. So a lot of their a lot of the work they do is work with business owners who are looking to exit and doing the under the feasibility study and things that we'll talk about later. But Sean really helped me kind of understand where an ESOP fits, where it doesn't. And shortly after that meeting, I was with Kevin and a few of the other lenders within, within the bank, some of the other market leaders. And the question was posed, you know, we've done a great job with, with the, the agency side and registered investment advisors. Where else can we be kind of a more of a niche lender and, and be subject matter experts and really bring value to our customers and people who we want to onboard as, as uh, Westfield Bank customers. And I brought up ESOPs and, you know, the conversation continued and, and we looked at it and explored the marketplace. And as you know, there's there's a lot of business owners that are owned, you know, a lot of businesses are owned by baby boomers, anything between 2.4 million to 2.8 million from what you read. I know Mark in a, a prior podcast, you mentioned about 10 million businesses that will be transitioning in the coming years. And uh, ESOP seem to be a very viable option. So it's something that we, we explored and kind of built out some credit policy around, aligned ourselves with some really good folks in the space, some ERISA attorneys and things of that nature to help us understand the market. And uh, we're off and running now and, and talking to a lot of non-customers about uh, ESOPs as well as our existing uh, customers. That's terrific. That's great background. Thank you. Thank you. So, so Dan, um, talk to me like I'm a second grader. What exactly is an ESOP? A good question. Uh, great place to start. As, as you mentioned earlier, employee stock ownership plan is really what ESOP is, stands for. And in its simplest form, Mark, an, an ESOP is a retirement plan. The company is sold to a trust, and the employees of that company are the, are the beneficiaries of that trust. So over time, shares are allocated to the employees, and those shares are va valued annually, so that when that employee eventually retires and leaves the organization, they've built up a retirement asset um, that they take with them. So it's really, again, it's, it's, a, it's a retirement plan, but it's also a way for a business owner to sell the company. Mm -hmm. uh, and as, as a retirement plan, a, a qualified plan, it does have similar attributes to other qualified plans in terms of 
tax-deductible contributions, tax-deferred growth, subject to normal retirement plan uh, rules and compliance, so to speak. So that creates a really unique environment in its use and business continuity, where a business owner could essentially sell his business to the employee workforce. And by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, it doesn't have to be a an all or nothing proposition. You could sell a partial interest, minority right. interest, could be a majority interest. But my understanding and the research and my experience tells me that the shares that of the of the company that are owned inside the ESOP trust are not subject to tax, correct? Correct. There, there's tremendous tax advantages for all parties involved. The selling owner, and we can I don't want to get too much into the weeds of a 1042 exchange, if it's a C-Corp, things of that nature. But yes, there, there's real tangible tax benefits that are one of the reasons that, that ESOPs are attractive. Mm-hmm. And, and, and such that it, it, the companies, the shares that are owned by tax, then I, I don't have another silent partner and Uncle Sam in my business for those shares. So that enables us to, to project higher growth rates, perhaps higher compensation, higher retirement plan accumulation, all the things I pointed to in our introduction here. But Kevin, back to you, why would a business owner want to sell their company to the employees as opposed to a strategic buyer or a private equity firm? Again, my experience in asking that question, Kevin, is that we know that a strategic buyer is going to be my highest potential price are there discounts involved if I sell it to my employees? So what's what's the angle there, so to speak? You know, I, I don't think it's it's because there are discounts or anything like that. I think a lot of times it's it's more emotional, right? It's it's mm-hmm. you built this business, you you've you've built not only the business, but the employees and you've grown with those employees and they've become more like family. So it's a legacy you want to leave leave behind. And a lot of times if you sell it to a strategic buyer or maybe a private equity, there's chances that that company can be broken up or moved out out of that community. So a lot of times as good stewards in your community, you want to continue to reinvest and and build in that community. And ESOP's a a great way to do that, especially if you don't have that second generation that is is wanting to stay in the business or or is available to come into the business and take it over. Um, It's a a great option to, to sell it to those employees. And then with that, continue to build that company and stay within that community. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've seen it firsthand. We know communities in, in, in our, excuse me, companies in our community here in our own backyard that oh. have opted to do an ESOP. I suspect in uh, my experience tells me again that, you know, they could have probably gotten top dollar if they'd have gone in a different direction, but the intrinsic value of leaving that company in the community uh, for the benefit of not only the employees, but the community in which it serves, the microeconomy which they've created, et cetera, overrides top dollar. But there's a twist in that I might sell it for less. And Dan, we'll go back to you here. When I go to reinvent, uh, reinvest those assets, I do have a tax-favored treatment on the sale proceeds, correct? Correct, yeah. Yeah. Um... I mentioned a 1042 exchange. Those are for C-Corps. You can basically take those assets, reinvest them into certain assets uh, or certain as- asset classes, domestic U.S. stocks, things of that nature. 
And what it does, it'll, it can either defer or possibly totally eliminate the capital gains tax on the sale of the business. Right. So you're saying that if I check all the boxes that an ESOP is a good fit for my company and it, it, a driving force for me is the intrinsic value and the feel good, which is so much a big part of Bo Burlingham's book, Finish Big. Um, and, and what am I going to do? And, and I feel good about people helping people along the way, which is one of the critical themes there that I could in turn have a significant tax break. So it's almost as if Uncle Sam is saying, hey, uh, tapping business owners on the shoulders, if you haven't looked at this, you probably should. That being said, Kevin, we'll go back to you here. Are there certain level of size of companies, industries, earnings, where it makes sense? or And, and by the same token, the other side of that pillow would be, are, are there companies that are too big, too small, et cetera? So walk us through that. Yeah, that, that's that's a great question because an ESOP's not for for every company, right? Um, is, is our listeners are, are hearing today that there is some complexity around that and, and some compliance that you have to make sure that you're able to to manage through that. And there's some some cost around uh, setting up an ESOP. There's a lot of benefits to it, but again, there's going to be cost in 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 getting started and going down that path. And we always say there's the five C's of credit. We always say there's the three C's of of on on ESOPs on the ESOP side, and that's cost, complexity, and compliance that you have to make sure you manage and, and, and are able to get a handle on all of that. But when you look at uh, an, an ESOP where it really starts making sense is, is probably the number of employees you have. It's, it, you, you probably want 20 employees or, or, or more when you look at it. And then you def definitely have to have some revenue, revenue size and, and profitability size. And a lot of times we look at their e EBITDA, right? It's mm -hmm. a, it's a earning before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and, and some addbacks. When you throw that in, you want an EBITDA of at least a million dollars or more where, mm -hmm. where it starts making sense because there are costs involved with it. There's financing costs in, involved with an ESOP, and you want to make sure that you have the capacity to be able to pull that transaction off. So in, in Westfield Bank's role, just for the benefit of our listeners here, I know, and I'm asking this question, I if, if I'm selling my business to uh, my employees through an ESOP, I could choose to carry the paper, be seller financed, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, doesn't always feel good, puts me at risk. Or I could partner with Westfield Bank and have what's known as a leveraged ESOP. So walk us through what a leveraged ESOP is, please. And what's Westfield Bank's role within that? Let me take that one, Kevin. Yeah, Dan, if you don't mind, and then and then I can add in a little bit more. I have some thoughts around that too. Sure. Yeah, it's a great question. And we've seen in the marketplace a number of companies that uh, maybe because of time constraints or what have you, they, they, they'll close the deal 100% seller finance. So Let's, for some made up numbers, let's say a company's got a $2 million adjusted EBITDA, it's valued at a 5X. So you got a $10 million company. Um, the company can, again, the, the owner can sell the business and, and hold that paper for $10 million. But to your point, Mark, you know, there's, there's, there's some risk there. So typically what they'll want to do is get, get a bank partner involved to take on a portion of that. So we might come in and do, let's say two and a half times. So we'll give a $5 million cash out to, to the seller at close. And then he or she will maintain that $5 million seller, seller note behind us. Um, so that's kind of a typical way in which it, it, it may break down. Um, no two deals are the exact same. So kind of depending on the, the collateral picture, the stability of the cash flows, number of factors really kind of play into uh, how much you know senior debt we can provide in a deal. 
Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Go ahead, Kim. Yeah, I was just going to add on to that, Mark. Um, a couple things you mentioned earlier was like a lot of times the, the seller may not get the premium dollar that if they're like sell to their employees that they could to an outside buyer. Mm -hmm. But depending on the structure, if they hold paper, that's another way to, for them to make additional revenue, right? Because they, they're going to charge interest on top of that. So they'll make they'll make additional money down the line. They don't have to take it all their like they, all their chips off the table at once. And then structure, I mean, we can be very creative in that. It, it could be all seller financing, as, as Dan mentioned. It could be some bank financing or a combination of the two. And you mentioned a lot about the tax savings that these shops can provide. And a lot of times you try and structure that where that tax savings covers most of that, that debt payment to the bank. So it's almost neutral from a cash flow perspective. So there's there's a lot of different ways that we can we can look at and, and structure ESOPs just to make it more effective for that company. And this is all part of this exploration process. Again, plug for Bo Burlingham's book, Finish Big. Exploration is stage one. But as I'm exploring my options on my exit, ESOP is something if I initial indications are that I've I fit the mold, so to speak, in terms of size of company, number of employees, free cash flow. I have to understand the feasibility. Is this actually, so there's actually a study that's gone through. So Dan, walk us through what's involved in a, an ESOP feasibility study. Yeah, so that's, you, you mentioned the word exploration, right? Feasibility is probably synonymous with that. So really it's it's kind of when, when a business owner is considering an ESOP, doesn't really know how this is all going to look out, look what they'll do is they'll engage, um, you know, valuation company or investment banker. They'll come in and they'll look at the historical financials of the company, but they'll also talk about projections and forecasts and really kind of get to understand the business and what the future cash flows may look like. Uh, from that point, they can kind of back into a, 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 a number that they believe the company is worth. And what they'll do for the owner or owners is map out kind of saying, okay, if we can negotiate a final sales price of let's say that $10 million that I used in my prior example, here's how the cash flows will look to you net of tax and kind of long-term, here's what you're going to get year one, two, three, four, and they kind of map that all out. So they can kind of get a gauge of, okay, this, this makes sense. I understand how much I'm going to get when I'm going to get it. So that's kind of the first stage. And, and they may even get into that feasibility study and come back to the business owner and say, listen, you know, we really don't think an ESOP is, is an appropriate exit strategy for you. Your, your, your product has become an obsolete. The management team isn't strong enough to uh, continue on without you. Whatever the case may be, all those things are kind of discovered in that feasibility study, but the kind of the final deliverable is that, that, that document kind of showing what, again, they believe the company is worth and how, those dollars will be har harvested over time. Yeah. I, mean, I want to just uh, make sure that we impress upon our listeners. Uh, you can't have an ESOP without a good management team, correct? Absolutely. I can have 20 employees, Kevin. I could have 40, 50, 100 employees. I could have strong earnings or terrific EBITDA, good valuation. But in my travels, we see uh, too much owner centricity in a business, uh, too little lean management. And so this whole exit prepare, uh, preparation process that you know that our team's involved in is helping business owners create an environment and build into, the, into their business the attributes will, that will allow them to then exit either to a third party or an ESOP. And one of them is a 
seasoned and veteran management team. Can you comment on that, Kevin? I know you're part of the leadership team at Westfield Bank. No, that that's key. I mean, if you don't have a good team in place, it's hard to transition that company, um, especially if it's if it's going to be to the employees. Uh, it, it, it's key um, when you look at it. That's one of the things uh, when you look at a candidate for an ESOP, it's got to be a, a, a good company, a growing company, a profitable company. But one of the big keys is they have to have a strong management team to be able to pull that off. And if you don't have that, it definitely will impact the success or potential success of a transition. Yeah, no question. And, and particularly if you're, uh, hey, if you don't have a management team, there's not a bank in the world that's going to lend, in Dan's example, $5 million exactly. uh, and hope it works out. And there's not a, a business owner that would be their own bank and sell, and, and sell or finance their business without a good management team. So these are things that we're always stressing to our, our owners. Dan, back to you. And I and just want to uh, share with our listeners, we're here today with Kevin Vondro, who's a chief lending officer of Westfield Bank and Dan Bender, senior vice president and commercial lead team. Dan, are there certain industries that are more uh, favorable to ESOPs or is it pretty industry agnostic? Uh, there are certain industries where it works better than others. And a lot of that, I think, boils down to industries where you have less turnover, um, things of that nature. I, I think of, you know, I, just in the news here in Northeast Ohio last week was the the news that the owner of the Memphis Kitty Park passed away. Mm. And it, it, you know, having four young kids, I, I it caught my attention. And I thought about what's the succession plan there? Is their family going to be taken over? And the type of employees, you know, they probably don't have that many employees at a, a, a kitty park like that, if you're familiar with it. Um, and they probably change over year over year. You know, you probably have high school, college kids stepping in. That wouldn't be a good, good spot for an ESOP. Um, typically where we see um, successful ESOPs, the, the number one industry in Ohio, as well as at a national level is manufacturing. That's mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. um, number two, kind of behind that is your professional services. So think about uh, engineering firms, uh, IT consulting firms, businesses where the assets really go home every night. That, that's actually number two. Architectural firms, I've seen that, consulting yep. firm, right? Yep, and and if you round out the, the, the top five, number three would be um, uh, finance and insurance companies. Uh, fourth being construction, which we've got a lot of that here in Northeast Ohio. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, uh, top five wholesale trade. So, you know, it, it's tough to do in, in retail and some other settings like that. But having said that, I mean, two, you, you mentioned Publix grocery store. It's what the biggest one in the nation here yeah. locally in Ohio. We've got Discount Drug Mart and Bueller's. Those are household names that I think a lot of your listeners are, are familiar with. So yes. it, it can be done in different industries, but uh, yeah, we see a lot in, in those uh, manufacturing, construction, IT, finance type companies. That's a great overview. Thanks, Dan. So Kevin, uh, we've talked about the benefits to the owner, the benefits to the community, perhaps. What are the benefits to the employees? And, and for that matter, if I'm going to become an owner in a business, that means risk and that means capital calls. What's in it for the employee and do they have to put any money into the deal? That's a great question. So do they have to put money in the deal? No, they don't. But the benefits they do is, is they get an ownership in that company. And depending how it's structured, like you can continue to build up that ownership throughout time. And there's different ways that, that you, can, you can build that out. But I think really what shows it, and, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, um, 
when you look at an, an ESOP company versus a non-ESOP company, they tend to perform a little bit at a, a little bit higher standard. Um, part of it is, and, and, and we, we have customers that are, are ESOPs and, and we have conversations with them, the, the, the employees get more engaged in that process, right? Because mm-hmm. they're, they're part of the ownership team. So they have a vested interest in it and, and they're more engaged in meetings. They're more engaged when there's like decisions or, or communications around like controlling costs or, or, or profitability because they know that's going to have a direct impact uh, on them. And as you mentioned before, is historically when you look at it, they're, they're the performance of an ESOP versus because it is a retirement plan versus a 401k typically the ESOP will outperform a traditional 401k so there's a lot of benefits for that employee yeah we cited those earlier right benefits uh employees typically make more money uh but the the statistic that just grabbed my attention imagine having three times the retirement assets of the business across the street you know employees adopt this ownership mindset i'd rather bet on myself and my colleagues than perhaps wall street as an example right you invest no. their money in standard mm-hmm. investments so i can't thank you enough uh let's talk about esops if you wanted to go through a feasibility study dan what are the next steps so if i had a, a client or we have a listener on the line that says geez that sounds interesting how do i a get a hold of westfield bank and what should i expect in that conversation yeah, so if someone's in, you know, here's this podcast, Mark, and they're interested, we'd certainly welcome the call and the conversation and, and kind of get the ball rolling. I think what's really important out of the gate is for business owners to surround themselves with the right advisors, uh, people who are familiar with the ESOP space. Um, you know, don't call your neighbor who's a, you know, family attorney or your nephew who's just past the bar. You want to get yourself with some seasoned, uh, seasoned advisors. You know, so, some ERISA attorneys that have have been in the deal flow before. Good valuation folks, good commercial bankers, good investment bankers, and then you kind of need someone to really kind of quarterback that relationship. So uh, I would start by you know just talking to a lot of people, sharing their you know a little bit about your business. That's another nice advantage of an ESOP. Uh, we didn't really talk about Mark for an exiting owner. If you did go to the strategic buyer or private equity route, you're sharing your company's financials and confidential information with a number of people throughout the marketplace. Mm-hmm. With an ESOP, it's more of a quiet uh, transfer of ownership. Much, so, much more private, right? Much more private. Yeah, there's probably a handful of individuals that would really understand and know the uh, you know, the, the financials and, and get to understand customer concentrations and all those things that, that go into uh, you know assessing a uh, in ESOP's viability, underwriting the the bank, the commercial bank piece, and all and so forth. So yeah, it's a small group, but you want to have the the right group. Yep. Uh, here on the Finish Big podcast, uh, we are huge fans of ESOPs. I think we're also obviously huge fans of working with a experienced exit planner. One of the things that I see all the time, ladies and gentlemen, is is if if uh, a financial intermediary. Uh, an investment banker or attorney, they might have an angle or a dog in the fight where they're trying to steer a particular client into a transaction that may not only benefit the business owner, but benefit uh, the firm that's helping as well. An exit planning practice process is going to be much more open-minded and say, hey, have you thought about this? Or maybe an ESOP's a good fit there. I think you would agree with that, Dan and Kevin. Mark, one, one thing I wanted to to point out too, as, as we're talking in, and I think we, we've had many conversations around this and, and you experience, especially as you're working to help companies perpetuate their businesses, 
is a lot of times people don't realize the time it takes to go through this process. Mm-hmm. They, they, they think it's going to be, okay, oh, geez, I can, I can do this in, in the next year. I want, I want to retire. I want to retire next year, and I want to put that, that plan in place. But this is a, a, a multi-year project that you have to go through with. And I think that's key when, when Dan said getting together with your partners. You, you got to work together with a team in, in putting this together because you want to you make sure you're doing what's best for yourself. You're getting the most money you can but you're also doing what's best for the company too. And a lot of times owners, and we have this conversation too, is owners don't realize how much of that value of their business is, is really based upon them. Mm. And, and that's where they have to divest that and make sure it's based upon the company, not just the owner. So when the owner leaves, that value goes away and you, you only have a shell of what that, that company truly is. And so there's so much more to think about and plan for when you go to exit um, from a business. Yeah, thank you for the plug for our process. Uh, our guests today guests today have been uh, Dan Bender, Senior Vice President, Commercial Team Lead at Westfield Bank, along with his colleague and good friend Kevin Vondero, who is the Chief Lending Officer and Executive Vice President at Westfield Bank. Uh, how do our listeners get a hold of you guys? I think the best thing is just go to westfield-bank.com, and then you can look the our, all our information is, is on our webpage, and there's even a landing page for ESOPs that has Dan and, and some of his uh, coworkers on there to get a hold of if they want more information. So that's the best, best, best place to start. Great. Dan, any closing comments? No, you know, the, the only other thing I would say is if, if listeners are interested in learning more, there's a lot of good organizations that they could reach out to. I know you mentioned all, uh, already the National Center for Employee Ownership, uh, also the Employee or the ESOP Association, both of those have local chapters. And right here in, at Kent State University is the uh, OEOC, which is the Ohio Employee Ownership Center. So some good organizations there, check out their websites, a lot of good research is done. Um, and and uh, there's, a, there's a nice community of folks that are in the ESOP space that are here to help those business owners explore and, and make that ultimate transition if that's uh, what, what's best for everyone involved. Great. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, our guests today, again, Kevin Vondero and Dan Bender from Westfield Bank. This is your host of the Finish Big podcast, Mark Dorman. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, Finish Big. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to Finish Big, the podcast with Mark Dorman from Legacy Business Advisors. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes are available. Learn more at LegacyBusinessAdvisors.com or call 330-350-5410. Please be aware the information in these podcasts represent the views and opinions of our guests and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Legacy Business Advisors. The content is for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your legal or tax professional with any questions regarding your specific situation.